Okay, if you're following along in a church Bible or a Bible of your own, we're looking at Psalm chapter 40, Psalm 40. Psalm 40, to the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord... You will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, I, ha- I hate to ask this, but I got to do it. How many of us have made resolutions? Raise your hands. Resolutions, some of us? Oh, not many. Okay, some, yeah, right. Okay, how many of us have like quietly, half-heartedly, hesitatingly made some kind of a resolution? Maybe. Raise your hand. Anyone? Yeah. Okay, there's more of them. Okay, yeah. How many of us are just hopeful that this new year is going to be a good one? Right? Anyone? Okay, yep. And who doesn't care about the turn of the year? It's just another day, no inherent value, right? (laughs) Some of us like that too, right, yes. And who's broken their resolutions already? Anyone? Anyone among us? (laughs) Yeah. Well, here's what I have to say. We are going to grow spiritually this year. This is one of those things where you don't have to make a resolution, and yet we must resolve and recommit ourselves to it, right? And I'm just naming it and identifying it for us on this day. But we're going to be growing this year, and we're going to look back at the, at the end of the year at what we've gone through, and we're going to be able to say we grew. A lot, a little, but together as a church, we grew. And one very specific way that we're going to grow is through prayer. 
okay? We all need to pray that we would grow, but we also need to grow to pray. And so we're going to be upping our prayer game in 2023 where we get a lot more personal with God. We're going to be thinking more about prayer from the prayer book of the Bible. That's the Psalms, the book of Psalms. And we're going through a series this month, Stronger Through Prayer, as we go through various Psalms. It's always good to go over the basics of our faith. It's very good to relearn what we have assumed in our faith. And hopefully, as we do all that, we'll also gain some more insights into our faith. Maybe discover new things. So we're going to grow as we pray. And what's going to grow? Our faith. Okay? And here's the thing. The truth is, prayer is a function of our faith. Okay? What that means is that our prayer life is really a thermometer of our faith. Let that sink in. And this is hard to say because it applies to me. But how much you pray reflects what you think about God, and also how much you think about God. If you're not praying a lot, if you're not talking to God, you're probably just talking to yourself. And everything that you say is going to be all about yourself, not God. All of us need to grow to think not about myself, but about God more, talking to him in prayer. Not just having nice thoughts about God, but actually talking to him. And so Psalm 40 is going to show us that today. How? We're going to grow in faith as we pray. That's what it's going to show us. Specifically, it's going to show us three things. God's track record, our commitment, and how to apply Jesus. Okay, so three points there for you. First point, God's track record. In Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3, David, he's writing this psalm. He gives us an account of serious troubles that he's been in and how God has answered his prayer for deliverance. It is just the most marvelous expression of God's faithfulness to us, his track record. Look at verse 1. To the choir master, a psalm of David, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Right? God answers prayers for help. We know he does. That's why we pray to him. You know that there are four aspects of prayer. Help, oops, thanks, and wow. Help, oops, thanks, and wow. Okay? Another way of referring to that more, I guess, um, more, in a more dignified way is like the ACTS model of prayer, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, right? Adoration, wow, confession, oops, thanks, thankfulness, and supplication, help, and please. Most people pray the help and please prayer. Please help God. The help prayer is usually one that takes the longest to resolve, though, because there's a lot of waiting involved, painful waiting oftentimes. Yet when David prays, as he waits, he, his waiting is not passive. It is an active time of prayer. But that's a pitfall with prayer when you have to wait, right? It can get tiresome and discouraging, repetitive, 
hard to engage because you're just afraid of disappointment. And so what do you do? You stop, you stop praying. Now, there are a lot of ways and forces that would get us to stop praying. And David mentions one of them, his description of helplessness. It's in verse 2. He describes it as a pit of destruction, a miry bog. He can pray for help, but sometimes we stop when you're in the pit of destruction, in a miry bog. This past summer, I was invited to a, a very fancy country club to play golf with a friend, the kind where the manager walks around and he said to me, as he's walking past, we tuck our shirts in around here. I'm like, oh, okay, right. So I tuck my shirt in, yeah. There was this one hole, somehow my ball wound up next to the water. <laughs> I don't know how it got there, but it got there, right? <laughs> now, it was next to a pond, but this pond was being drained. And I could see the ball right there. So I knew I had a chance to get it. So I gingerly started walking towards this drained pond, what I thought was a pretty flat section, and I slipped. But I managed to catch myself on my hands. So I'm on all fours, but my butt hasn't touched the, touched the mud yet, but I'm sliding down into the water. <laughs> Thankfully, my foot goes into the water, and it stops me. But all I'm thinking is that I'm going to be doing the walk of shame as I, walk, as I go back to the clubhouse, all muddy and dirtied up into this fancy place, right? Thankfully, I stop, and I'm doing everything I can to not get dirty. And I tried to even reach for my ball, and I slipped more. <laughs> I had to just stop. And uh, you know, transferring my weight, any kind of shift like that, it just made me slide. I didn't end up in the watering hole. <laughs> and thankfully, my ball ended up in the right kind of hole, right? Many, many strokes later. But even from this lighthearted example, right, it's a scary feeling sliding out of control, trying to avoid nasty mud, being unable to move, how hard it must be with real suffering. Everything that you do, you're just trying to better your position, and it causes you to slip more. You're stuck in this miry bog, this pit of despair. Some of us may be there right now. Some of us may be coming out of that. Would we be able to say, verse 2, though, verse 2, he drew me up and set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. Would we be able to pray like that? You know there's a difference between wasted prayer and unwasted prayer. Wasted prayer and unwasted prayer? What's this? What's the difference here? Now, no prayer is ever wasted, but my point is that there is so much to be gained from praying by doing what is said next, verses 3 and 4. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Brothers and sisters, answered prayer must be acknowledged with thanksgiving and praise. You know, if we owed God praise and thanksgiving for every answered prayer, how many of us would be in some debt with God? Sure, he hasn't answered every prayer of ours, but let's acknowledge what he's answered. And the truth is, though, we can easily cry 
help, please. And as the saying goes, once ashore, we pray no more. You know that cycle? You get into trouble, you cry for help, God delivers you, you get on with your life. Wasted opportunities. Wasted opportunities where we could see God in his goodness and glory and give him the praise and thanks that he deserves. And as someone who, you know, has kind of noticed this in myself and in others as I care for people, I'm sensitive to these things. There's another harmful pattern that emerges from that cycle. You get hit with difficult times. You get confused and wonder, what is you doing, God? Somehow, you get out of the miry bog. You get on with life, thinking everything's okay. And then when the next thing hits you, you're like, what's going on, God? What are you doing to me, God? You start wondering about God in those ways. And you see what's so harmful about that? You've forgotten God's track record, how he's worked in our lives. As a result, what happens? Rather than trusting God and praising God, we're doubting and we're questioning God. You're going in the opposite direction. That's wasted prayer. Now, isn't it sad when you forget who your very own loved ones are? You know, some people face those kind of, like, conditions. It's often associated with aging. You know what I'm talking about. Where you just don't remember who your loved ones are anymore. Would that characterize your faith relationship with God? You don't really remember who he is. His track record. You're surprised with every trial that hits you. Like, what are you doing, God? I shouldn't be going through this, God. Verse 3. That is the answer to unwasted prayer. Verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Okay? What that means is that he positively, it means that God has given me so many reasons to think about him to the point where it's just like it brings me so much delight that I'm just singing about him. He's answered my prayers. He stretched my views of who he is beyond what I would think. So many reasons to think about. He's, I'm processing his answers to me, right? So in other words, there's enough material to write a new song about God's goodness and glory with every situation he pulls us out of. You know, David, he, he like really hones in on this. Verse 5, this is what he says. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Notice carefully in verse 5 what is being multiplied. It's not my praise, even though there's plenty that I'm realizing about God. God has multiplied his wondrous thoughts and deeds towards us. He has answered our prayers in the most exquisite ways if you stop and think about everything that has worked out to have our prayers answered. And that's what he's like. Like a loving father, he thinks of us far more than we think of him. What a thought, though, that he thinks of us that much. And so we pray because we know that God cares for us. 
But we also praise in our prayers because we care that he cares for us, right? He's put a new song in my mouth. And that could also be taken negatively, not in a bad way, but it's unless God helps me to open my mouth and praise him, I probably won't. And I want to say that that's okay, as long as you realize that you're okay with that, that you understand what that really means, where we realize our limitations of praise and where I can admit I need God's help to praise him and to thank him to actually process my thoughts about God in the ways that lead to praise. Unwasted prayer, acknowledging God with thanksgiving and praise. Do we process our thoughts about God like that? Well, to further help and encourage us, David contrasts himself with a person who doesn't process his thoughts about God. Verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. See, it's the proud who do not recognize God, that he is at work in our lives, who think that they have to do all the hard work and survive as if it depended on them and them alone. You know, there's a clear distinction between human responsibility and human pride. All of us need to be cognizant, aware of this distinction, and be able to discern it for ourselves. You know, responsibility is where you know that God has gifted you with abilities and you have to exercise them, whether it's an area of competence or character or what have you. As a result, you can say, thank you, God, in a very conscious way that he is working through you. Whereas pride is where we think we have to take responsibility for ourselves and we can't depend on anyone else and we're answerable to no one else, not even God. And if you do actually get involved in the ritual of praying and praising, it's mindless and it's half-hearted. So all of that to say, if I could put it another way, you could be the most successful, highly competent, brilliant CEO, and if you are a Christian, you could be praying and trusting God as you, he or she exercises their responsibilities and extraordinary gifts and abilities. They know that it is God and it's through God that they're able to be the people who they are. They're not proud. People who are firmly convinced of God's track record, that they would continue to pray, pray for help, and pray for praise. Unwasted prayers will acknowledge God's track record. That's our first point. Secondly, our commitment. You know, if we're following David's train of thought in this psalm, he wants to make certain that we are on this path of growth. He calls for praise and thanksgiving, and then after that, what does he call for? Commitment to God in the form of explicit dedication. Look at verse 6. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. What is David saying here? He's talking about a commitment that starts from the inside out, right? David gets to the inside by making this contrast between external actions, sacrifices, and the heart. From ritual acts, to this wholehearted dedication. But look at what is in between those external sacrifices. You have given me an open ear. You've opened my ears. 
That's the expression. It's a weird expression. And so David is saying a wholehearted dedication to God involves the ears. What do the ears have to do with the heart dedicated to God? A man went to a church meeting. It's one of those revival kind of meetings. Pastor called those who needed prayer to come down to the front, and he would pray for them. This man walked down. He told the pastor, God, please pray for my hearing. So the pastor put his hand on his head and the other hand on his ear, and he started praying and praying and praying. And then afterwards, they said, Amen. The pastor opened his eyes, and he said to the guy, So can you hear? And the the guy said, I don't know. The court date is next week. (laughs) Hearing. All right? He prayed for his hearing. Our hearts need to be able to hear. We need to be able to hear from God. It's not always about my troubles, but it's about God's desires. What are we hearing? Verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Now this is the tricky section of the passage. We're going to have to untangle this. So let's be hearing this carefully, okay? David would present himself to God because he knew that what the scroll, the the word of God that he was reading was all about him. He was the promised king the leader of God's people. He was the man of God. And as a result, what is written about him? What is it? That he would delight to do God's will. God's will is expressed as his law, and it would be in David's heart. He would love to do God's law, his will, obey his word. So he's saying, even more than costly sacrifices, the man of God hears God's word and loves it. And if you love it, you're going to do it. True hearing from the heart. This is David's expression of committing himself to God. He's all ears. (laughs) But is he ditching the sacrifices? Is that what David is saying? He doesn't need to make any sacrifices any longer, that they're unnecessary. Because if he is, that is a huge statement. Is David saying... Oh, it's just a matter of how sincere you are. It's the thought that counts, really. That's what really matters. That's all God cares about. You know, sadly, a lot of churches think this way. They lower the bar about what God expects so that they can get a hearing. They don't talk about sin and tough sacrifices as a way to keep people interested. They dispense with all this ritual stuff to try to reach the everyday person, right? And I only mention that because that is a way to read this passage, process it, but it's processing it wrongly. Here's the thing about commitment. It requires a high cost and a deep love. Commitment is all about high cost and deep love. You can make a commitment because you know it's not easy, and so you have to intentionally put your mind and heart to it. And there's a real cost involved, right? That's why it's not easy. Will you pay that cost? If it's not worth it, you won't make the commitment. But if it is worth it, it's because you really love it. Whatever it is you're committing yourself to, you really love it. 
And so David is saying, it sounds strange, I love God, I want to commit myself to God, but I don't want to make these sacrifices. It almost sounds that way, but David is saying the exact opposite. Okay? See, real commitments are very costly. The sacrificial system, it'd be a real example of costliness, of costly acts. It involved your dollars, so the cost was real right there. And for Old Testament Israel, there was more than one sacrifice that was required at different times. And this was all in addition to the 10% tithe. The 10% tithe, that was like the overhead cost to be able to worship God. And then there would be individual um, moments of sacrifice and costs involved. So that 10% really was just the bare minimum. And David is not trying to ease the commitment by doing away with the sacrifices. He's demanding more. That's weird. But David is not saying that the sacrificial system is unnecessary. What he is trying to say is that it is insufficient. Still necessary, but insufficient. Sacrifices are still necessary, but there is even more involved. And that is your whole heart and life. Said differently, your commitment, it has to start on the inside, but it has to come out too. Starts with the heart, but it does also involve ritual acts. If we describe salvation as God taking a thorny bush to a lemon tree, then what good is a lemon tree if there are no fruit, right? No outward evidence. Real fruit. David is saying God wants both, but in the right order. From the heart, coming outwards, costly sacrifice. Okay, so he's not making it easier. He's making it harder. As I said, David is making a statement about the sacrificial system, and this is huge. It's hard to recognize, but as you're processing it and trying to weigh it all out, he's not saying none of that matters. It's all in the law, and if he loves the law, then he's going to love the sacrifices, but he's got to understand its place, right? And here's another thing that he's saying. Not only was it insignificant, I mean insufficient, but it was insufficient in a very, very significant way. David realizes that the animal sacrifices were an insufficient substitute to take away the sin of man. Remember the purpose of the sacrificial system. It's God's way of teaching his people that sin is bad. You need a right substitute in order to make atonement so that you can be reconciled to God in a right communing relationship where you're cleansed and you can live. That's what the sacrificial system is all about. So David is making clear that he needs more than animal sacrifices to have his sin atoned for, to be in communion with God. He could say that he wanted to give all of himself to God, commit himself to God, but there was still something missing because the sacrificial system was insufficient. And it would be super important for David to speak about all of this because all of God's people would need a king, a leader, who could help the people commit themselves to God in ways that was worthy of God because All of our efforts, our sincerity, would not be good enough. 
In terms of God expecting a high commitment from us, as David is saying, you know, at some point people might start to despair. I will never be good enough. Others might even get resentful. What more must I do? Because, you know, you're feeling the pressure, the burden from God. But David, he's not speaking in those ways. He doesn't have that kind of attitude, but a place of real sincerity. What more can I do for you, God? Because you want to. He wants to. I wonder if you can say that for yourselves. Like, I want to make a commitment to God, a real earnest commitment to God. I mean, I hope we can. But here's what we really need to know. You know, we would consider making that kind of commitment to God a high cost, right? When we realize how much of a commitment God made to us first. That's what we need to remember. How costly it was for him to make a commitment to us. When you recognize that, then you also recognize how much he loved us. So much so that he would send his one and only son into the world. See, David could declare with confidence what was written about him. Because what that was, what was in the scroll, was God's prophetic way of speaking about speaking through this limited king to a future king that would come. We read about it in Hebrews. The book of Hebrews picked up on these verses in Psalm 40 to tell us about Jesus, the true king and the true priest and the true sacrifice. And we can begin to fathom committing ourselves to God because we have experienced his commitment to us. Many of us have made that kind of commitment. That's why we're here, and not just today on this really, you know, what, what might be a special day, but we're here for worship, and we're here every week for worship because we know this is what God has called us to, high commitment, high cost. But how good is it? We're in this environment of prayerful praise. We are the fulfillment of the words that David wrote. Look at verse 9. I have told the great news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great con- congregation. Can you say confidently that you belong to the great congregation here? We praise and worship Jesus. That's the commitment. And it leads, lastly, to our third point, Christ applied. David is being very intentional in teaching us how to pray in a committed way. He's taking us through what seems to be a cycle. And it's a cycle that we all probably are familiar with and we face in life. Look at verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Here we go. David's in in the midst of another crisis. His high commitment to faith in God and prayer, it starts to kick in. He's applying what he's just spoken about. Verse 12. 
For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. You see, you hear David's prayer again, how desperate he is. He's praying while he's waiting. A lot of cries for help. It's just like at the beginning of Psalm, the Psalm, Psalm 40. He waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit. Right? That's what David said in the beginning. Here, David in the beginning said he waited. Here he says, please hurry. You know, it's that classic prayer line that we all make. Give me patience, O oh God, but please hurry up, man, right? <laughs> but David's not panicking in his cries to God. He's not consumed by his own fear, unaware of anything else. David is praying as if he is talking to the holy, righteous, almighty God. It's even to the point where he can recognize his own sin and in the mess that he finds himself in. David's praying again, right? And take note, he's including praise. The specific mention of adoration, and in the most helpful way, verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. See, this is real life, what David is depicting for us in this psalm. Dave's, David has hit Trouble again, but he's not in shock. He's not forgetfully shocked. What are you doing, God? No. David is remembering God's steadfast love and faithfulness, his consistent track record. He's not in a good place, and yet he can still pray and praise, even if quietly. This is how he prays, verse 17. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. That verse, it, so, it sounds like a pity party, but it is not what it is. It is a real, raw, and understated way of describing David's pit of destruction, the miry bog that he finds himself in again. Do we see the cycle in this psalm? Seems like there's this plan and way of life of praying, talking to God, processing thoughts, working out your faith. It's like David's putting together a, a prayer guide for us. In fact, scholars have observed that this last section in Psalm 40, verses 12 to 17, that's actually Psalm 70. So Psalm 70 has been brought into Psalm 40 here in an intentional way to almost like complete this cycle. It's tacked on to see that this is how we're to live, how to think, and how to pray. So the psalm starts with David coming out of a trial. God has answered prayer, and so he gives praise to him, and then he dedicates himself to God. And not surprisingly, he gets hit again with another trial, and now he knows how to pray. He knows that God's at work, his track record is reliable. Now, that's our model for us. And the truth is, though, that throughout the year, we might get wobbly in, our, in the high commitment that God calls us to. We're growing, but progress is never in a straight line, right? Sometimes our sin will get us into trouble. 
Other times we will be overwhelmed by just the fullness of the world. And yes, there will be times when you are still surprised by what happens to you. And you ask God, how could you? But the beauty, the strength, and the hope of the gospel is that we can always remember not our commitment to God or our failed commitment to God, but God's commitment to us in Christ. That is our faith. That's what keeps us praying and going. Thinking about the gospel of Jesus. That's how we face the storms, how we get through the storms, and even how we might have to heal after the storms. The full cycle there for you. And if if we're taking this instruction seriously, the gospel of Jesus applied is applied in those moments where I can prayerfully praise God. And so, as we draw things to a close, there are several beautiful lines in this, uh, many actually. But let's look at this vision that God gives us, verse 9 again. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. All these things that he did not do, what he had to do. Praising God. Praising God. He had to do that for his righteousness, his unchanging nature. Because God is the source. He's the determiner of what is right and good. Praising God for his faithfulness, what is his unchanging commitment to his word. Praising God for his salvation, what is his unchanging power to redeem those he will. Praising God for his steadfast love, what is his unchanging desire for the good of his people. Praising God for his covenant community, the great congregation, what is his unchanging devotion to his people. You know who doesn't pray this way? who isn't captivated by this vision, who doesn't grow in love for God and and commitment to him, the person who just takes the blessings from God without any consideration for who God is, who only knows how to pray, help, and please, if they pray at all. That's not going to be us, right? (laughs) So to conclude, application, 2023, we're going to pray, We're going to pray more, and we're going to pray more together. And it's going to start with each one of us individually growing how to pray according to the Acts model. Wow. Oops. Thanks. Please. Okay. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Not just help and please prayers. In fact, what makes the ACTS acronym so useful is the actual order, A-C-T-S, starts with adoration, praise, starts with the wow. Then you recognize yourself before God and you say, I'm sorry for my limitations and my failures. Then you give thanks for the forgiveness of your sin, the way that God has saved you. And then you say, please. I've had to train myself to pray this way. Desperate times slowed me down. Helps me so much because I was now able to pray sharper prayers as I have a clear sight of God in mind, not my disaster in front of me. 
You know what? That might be a high commitment for some of us to make. But will you commit yourself to God this way in this new year? Very least, pray with more adoration and wow at, at the start of your prayers. It might be costly for all different kinds of reasons, but I guarantee you will grow to love God more. You will grow in faith. In fact, I'm excited to think about all the ways that God has gifted each one of us so differently that as we start praying this way, we're going to be sharing it with one another. This is what I learned about God. This is how awesome God is. And all of us will be blessed by how creative and poetic and God is in terms of working with us and working through us. With that, let's pray. God, thank you for this new year. Thank you that we can start it off with you, and thank you that we can be praying to you, that you hear our prayers, that they are not falling, just empty words, hitting a glass ceiling. No, they're getting right into your ear, O oh God, because of Jesus, our great high priest. He is our intercessor. He's the one who takes our thoughts, our prayers, our praises, and he brings it right to you so that you could hear them and you could answer them. And we do pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow in prayer and help us to pray to grow. All these ways, oh God, we look forward to getting to know you better in this new year together as a church, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. His name, in his name we pray. Amen.